This is William Evans, and you are listening to a Living World Conversation with Lisa Dancing Light. She experiences our world as music, and in 2021 published a children's book, Magic Mountain, A Song and Story. Welcome, Lisa. Happy Fourth of July. Thank you, Will. Happy Fourth of July to you, too. You moved to the Roaring Fork Valley in 1970. I did. And in December of 1978, you moved to Prince Creek. I did. Mm -hmm. And three years later, following a day of cutting firewood, you developed a blind spot in your vision, which led to a spiritual awareness of your relationship with the mountain. I definitely did. It was an adventure. Mm -hmm. Kind of a scary experience. I yeah. bet. Yeah. Did, did you question what was going on at, at the time of that experience? I was, I didn't have as much information as I have now about my well-being. And um, of course, I was much, much younger. Um, I, I was fearful because the doctors said it was one of three things and they couldn't guarantee that I wasn't going to go blind. And I couldn't picture myself being, you know, um, some form of Stevie Wonder, you know, performing on stage being blind. Yeah, I just couldn't get my head wrapped around that. So I understand. It put me into a place of investigation. Yeah. And yet when you spoke with a musical colleague, she reassured you. At, at that time, I can't quite remember how it all unfolded, but... I was writing music. I was receiving music from source, I assume. At the time, I didn't really understand it. I had been a music major in college. I had conservatory training when I was in high school. I was a classically trained pianist, so I have extensive background since I was eight and uh, a degree in music education. But when, when this all started to happen, it was about the same time I was hearing music that I couldn't explain. And so I was studying piano at the time with a Negrelli. I, I, I'd been getting back into playing music again. I dropped out for a period of time when I got married and was raising my children and building our house at Prince Creek. But there was a period of time where I was playing piano four nights a week for Connie Vaughn's ballet classes, and she used to have a dance studio in the old Dinkle building upstairs. And so I was playing ballet classes, music for the ballet classes, and I also started hearing music and composing music, which had nothing to do with anything I learned in college. And when I took this information that I was receiving this music that I didn't understand, and I took it to Anig, she said, oh, it doesn't matter, just keep playing. You know, this is beautiful and don't question it. 
And so am I accurate in assuming that as you sang what was in your heart, uh, you gained an inner understanding and strength that helped you hold your balance through this initiation? Definitely music has given me a foundation and a solid ground to stand on. And I think that music was what I was turning to a lot in those days because a spiritual path was unfolding that I can define it as that now, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't have a vocabulary for what was happening to me. And uh, music was definitely part of that because I, I, it was like an old friend, you know, it was there for me. So this book came to you 40 years ago and you finally published it in 2021. Uh Uh-huh. I know. That's that's a story in itself. (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about the story because some listeners may not have read it. Oh, for sure. So I've been in the Valley for a long time, obviously, since 70, and appreciating the beauty of Colorado, I mean, it's a given. And I spent quite a bit of time in nature, and um, I was raising two boys in the early 80s, and I wrote this song called Magic Mountain, probably when the boys were attending the Rainbow Preschool. I was probably teaching music there, and they were probably going there for daycare. And then in 1991, I was teaching piano and voice for 10 years also at Colorado Rocky Mountain School. And uh, in 91, I was invited to write an environmental music event and a a curriculum for the preschool. And um, the preschool had, Debbie Candela was the director at the time. And she had received a grant from the Carbondale Council on Arts and Humanities, which is now Carbondale Arts. And so um, I agreed to venture into this area. And I wrote a curriculum and an environmental play, so to speak, for the preschoolers, and CRMS students were part of it. They were mentoring, and Mary Noon built a mountain out of canvas. The mountain talked. Uh, It was quite astounding. Channel 4 came over and filmed it for us. It was quite an adventure. I really don't remember writing the story. I mean, I know it evolved because at that point in time, I'd been studying with Brooke Medicine Eagle and a number of Native teachers, uh, was really appreciating the um, experiences I was having in nature, specifically my understanding of, of studying the my relationship with the earth and the sacredness of the earth and all all beings. And so this story evolved based on my practice at the time as my spirituality was unfolding coupled with my relationship with music and what was coming through me musically and my healing also was pretty significant still at that time. And um, so the story started way back then. And then fast forward to, oh, like four or five years ago, I took the story to my granddaughter Lydia's preschool, which was a Montessori preschool in Salt Lake City. And I shared the story and a couple of songs that I'd written. And it was fun. You know, those were two and three year olds. And the director had mentioned that she felt like this was a really rich story that she could write a whole semester curriculum. She had a degree in environmental science, and she was very connected with earth studies. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, A couple months later, I brought the story back 
and when I was visiting and sang a couple more songs. And when I walked into the school, the kids all said, it's the Magic Mountain Lady. And I started singing the song, Tell Me Magic Mountain. And I went, wow, they remembered. It stuck. You know, I had just read Malcolm Gladwell's book about tipping points and things that stick, you know. Right. And so I thought, wow, after 30 years, this story still has traction. It kind of was really cool and then kind of made me kind of sad that this message is still so poignant that we haven't gotten it yet, you know, about waking up, about having a special way of listening, about appreciating the beauty of nature in a changing world. And so so I paid attention, and then during the pandemic, I uh, had lost two-thirds of my enrollment teaching piano and voice, and so I thought, well, how hard would it be to write a children's book? And then I met Elisa Omacht of Light of the Moon. I'd gone to a presentation of hers, and we had a meeting, and I thought, okay, I can do this. So that's how that's the long answer to how that all came about. Beautiful. And has there been any feedback from children and parents? Oh, it's been sweet. Yeah, it's been really sweet. A lot of the times I'm at this point, I'm selling books at events and book signings and bookstores and libraries and things like that. But oftentimes, and this is more from people in our community, I will hear comments back on um, how this is really a beautiful bedtime story. And it's real calming for children. And that was my intention because I feel like kids have been really traumatized and stressed, you know, with so much intense energy that's on the planet right now and a lot of fear and just stuff going on. And so I've heard from parents especially and grandparents um, that this story has a real calming effect. And it's really beautiful to do this at bedtime and then to listen to the song and sing along with the song. That was my intention. So, and and the parents are really enjoying that it's an environmental message. A lot of people appreciate that it's a book that's written about our valley and a mountain that, that I have a great relationship with in our valley. And especially the Hispanic community, I've heard that... Um, they don't have a lot of books available about stuff in our valley. And so they have really appreciated that too. So I, I'm grateful for that. So it's been really sweet feedback. Sweet. Can you put into words the magic of your story? <laughs> That's not easy to do. Oh, goodness. So I believe that Sopras, as she is called, and she has other names from the Nooch that lived here? Wimagua. Wimagua. I think so, yes. Okay, Wimagua. And I have a special relationship with that mountain, and that's what makes it magic. I was at a reading once, and this little boy asked me, he said, is this fiction or nonfiction? And I said, well, it really just depends. I said, the mountain, Magic Mountain is real to me, but the story is fictional. So I've had some magical experiences with the mountain, That's how I define them. I have heard songs from the mountain. I've had visions, had dreams about the mountain. I've had some incredible experiences camping at the base of the mountain and hiking it. I've heard stories from old timers that have lived in the valley that there are fish that live underground in lakes, fish with no eyes. I think Edis Fender was the one that told me that story. 
Um, I heard a legend from Bill Howell, who used to be a professor at Colorado Mountain College, that uh, that uh, Mount Sopras is, um, there's a legend of that it's a sleeping pregnant woman. And so um, I, it just has a great mystery to me. And um, I just imagine, I use my imagination a lot as a creative person. And um, I just feel like the mountain has a lot to teach me. And that's magical. It seems you've given children and parents permission to find their own sacred connection and values in relationship with the mountain. Yes, and I invite, when I do workshops or readings or go to schools and work with kids, I, I invite them to think of their own story uh, because the book ends with the line, how about you? Can you hear magic stories? Do you have a special way of listening? And when we did the musical, which this whole story has evolved into that direction, so we did the musical last year in March at Marble Charter School, the children wrote their own stories that related to Magic Mountain and what magic would say what things were going on that surprised him or made him sad, and just the evolutionary process of time in an environmental area. And I think that having children do creative writing and bringing that into the story has been really valuable. And parents, they're, they're amazed, actually, that it's a teaching book as well. It's really an educational instrument. It's, it's more than, than just a story. It invites people to learn more about the mountain as it, as it is factually and about the American Dipper, the water oozel. Right. So, and you've said the children are fascinated with the Dipper. Oh my gosh. My granddaughter, when she learned, when she saw the video of the musical on YouTube, she was going around dancing and doing the little oozel dance that I created. That when we we did a celebration of the water oozel, and I created a dance and a song, so that's in the play. Right. And she goes around going oozel, oozel. <laughs> she just loves saying that word, and that's not a two-year-old's vocabulary, right? Right. Well, um, many people don't know the American Dipper is also no, known as the Oozel. No, but a lot of people do. And I've been so surprised because the Oozel serves as a guide in the book. The Oozel appears many times. And there is a, a statement when, when magic, you know, there there's an evolutionary process where streams were littered with trash and fish were over, you know, rivers were overfished and... Um, the, the oozles disappeared, and they're a very important bird. And so I love using that as a teaching point that there's something very important about the oozel, that it's an indicator species. And I learned about this from you, actually, a couple right. of years ago, and that if the river is healthy, you will find the American Dipper or the water oozel. And if the river is in danger, they disappear. Right. And that's very important, especially in our community where we can actually see the dipper in our rivers. Or not see them. Or not see them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A big story in a little book. It's, it's a little book with a big message, yes. <laughs> that's true. And at its origin, do you think it's accurate to say it's a sacred experience with our local mountain? I definitely feel that personally. And I imagine that if you asked 
the average person on the street that even is just visiting here, they would probably give you a similar answer. There's something very mysterious and very magical and very commanding about our sentinel. I, I feel deeply connected to the mountain in a sacred way. And I do believe it's a sacred mountain. What do children tell you today when you ask them what is sacred? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, so, that's a funny question because I'm pretty serious about my, my understanding of what's sacred. You know, it, it's a serious topic to me. Like, I feel like life is sacred the animals and the deer and the pollinators and the eagles and, you know, all the winged ones, the four-leggeds, the trees, the stars, the moon, the sun. From studying with Native people, I've learned that all these things are sacred. Mother Earth is sacred. When I talk to children, because there's a song that I sing called Sacred Ground, I actually heard it walking on the back road of Colorado Rocky Mountain School amongst the used to be very big, tall, six-foot sage plants. They've cut them back quite a bit now, unfortunately. But sacred is an interesting topic with kiddos because I try not to give them too much framework, and I just say, what, 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 is, what would you consider sacred? And something that's very special to you that you would not want to see harmed. I kind of frame it that way. And interestingly enough, I was just helping Diana Alcantara at the garden boot camp that she hosted in, in uh, June at Carbondale Community School. And the kids went around the room and they said the most unusual things. Mostly, the boys would say, my Legos. And then most of them would say, my iPad. And I was going to try and steer them around to nature and, you know, things like that. Right. That, that I had value and it kept going around the circle, and they would all say, oh, yeah, my iPad. And then, of course, I didn't ask what's sacred about your iPad. I should have, but I didn't. But what startled me the most is the last young lady that spoke. She said, mountain lions. And that just shifted everything. Because I said, oh, that's interesting. And she felt really deeply about the mountain lions. And so it opened a conversation about what's sacred. And what's sacred to me might not be sacred to them. And that's okay. Um, but I, what, love, I what, love the topic, you know. What did the other children say when they heard the last student say, mountain lion? <laughs> I th you know, I think they all thought that was cool, you know, because every day we had been talking about different animals. And we had these animal cards that, that we would, um, Diana would draw. And so we had brought bison into the circle. And there was a snake outside the door of my music room that was shedding its skin. So we talked about serpent, you know, na this, the nature of snakes and transformation. And uh, we had had a um, butterfly. Actually, one of the students brought a butterfly. And um, it was part of one of the little helpers in our week. And uh, the birds, there was a hawk flying overhead. So we brought the animal topics in. And the kids are really tuned into that and really receptive. So they're aware. They're very aware. This is Katie and Kay, and you're listening to a Living World Conversation 
with Lisa dancing light about her life experience with the magic mountain above us. And here we are at the 4th of July. Here we are. Is our country sacred as well? Hmm, that's an interesting thought, Will. (laughs) I almost want to ask you first what you think. Um, I think that the the principles that this country were found on, founded upon had a sacred intention that all beings were created equal. And um, that sense of equality and freedom, I think, has a sacred nature to it. And I think it just depends on how far, you know, if your heart is open enough to go into that, you could definitely embrace that concept. Definitely could. And the Iroquois Confederation had a big influence on our, our government. And that's huge. That's huge. The Iroquois Confederacy is uh, very, very powerful and has a great message that we, I have heard grandmothers speak from the Iroquois Nation, and, it, and they carry profound wisdom, right. profound wisdom. Well, when I hear someone speaking the truth, it's a, it's a bright light for me in this time. I agree with you, yes. And you also see a bright light in the children. I do. I see great hope, and um, I have great faith in our future. I was in Beaver Creek last week at the Colorado Suzuki Institute, which is part of the Colorado Institute of Music, and I was so impressed and so deeply moved by the young young children, and I mean, you know, four and five years old to 16 years old, that are playing music piano, violin, viola, cello, and their talent, their dedication, their joy, their love of music. And the, the reason that that really, really inspires me is that Dr. S- I'm a Suzuki piano teacher as well. I'm trained through five levels, which is quite, quite extensive. And Dr. Suzuki's philosophy was that we would create a future peaceful world by nurturing the love of music in children. And he was an incredible humanitarian. I was fortunate to be able to meet him in 1985. But I, I really truly believe that that's nurturing children with music is really one of the answers to some of the problems that we're facing. You know, just tuning, tuning kids in to their excellence and nurturing them. And I see their light shine. I think... It's not only a, a skill, but it's a, it's a way to process life experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, to me, and that's a, beautiful, that's a beautiful thing that you brought into this discussion because I have a plaque in my studio that says, life is like a piano. What you get out of it depends on how you play it. And to me, that means life is like, and you can put anything in there. Life is like playing soccer or life is like skiing. What you get out of it depends on how you ski or depends on how you play soccer or, you know, life is like a good book. What you get out of it depends on how much time you spend reading it. Where we put our attention really allows for a deeper cultivation for a foundation in life and having a practice is really important. 
and it's an expression of the heart and soul. Absolutely. Um, and there's definitely sacred music. Definitely. There's so many beautiful, well, we have the, the Tibetan, we have the monks here visiting from the Gaudin Chartse Monastery, and, you know, listening to chant of monks is very sacred. There's beautiful flute playing that's very sacred in the Zen tradition. To me, music is very sacred. And for me, seeing Uzal dancing in the river is sacred. Yes. I, I consider it a rare but a good omen when it happens. <laughs> Definitely. Have you seen many Uzals this spring? Very few. Mm. Very few. Occasionally I do see one, but the, you know, the population really dropped about 2019. It would be lovely to see it come back. Yeah, it would. I understand the birds are, there's been a big decline. Yeah, we could be more sensitive and respectful. For sure. Of our, our winged relatives. Definitely, yes. Is there anything more you would want to say about um, celebrating our common identity as a community this holiday? I I feel like celebrating something that we all agree on, which to me, the 4th of July is about celebrating freedom and coming together, celebrating something wonderful like that and opening our hearts to a joyful experience. It brings everybody together. I mean, I spend time in Redstone because that I have family that lives up there. Right. And it's such a joyful experience, the parade and just getting together and visiting with people. Everybody's happy. It's just a beautiful, joyous celebration. So it, it is a celebration that brings us together and gives us something good to to, um, to honor. It's a, it's a good holiday because it doesn't involve having to buy gifts and, you know, things like Christmas and stuff like that. It's really focused on freedom and celebrating something good in this country. And very worth celebrating. Very worth celebrating, yeah. I think it's, it's valuable for me, just going to the parade here in Carbondale, to step out of linear time, be on the sidewalk and watch the kids and the trucks and the flags go by, and um, feel the connection, mm -hmm. the community connection. Because I think there's been a, a very sad uh, phenomenon of disconnection over the last few years. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It, it's, a, it's a sweet time we're coming back into of connection. And... Um, yeah, I think stepping out of linear time and honoring that experience is really beautiful. Yeah, stepping back and looking at the larger picture here. Yeah, that's beautiful. And definitely getting together and celebrating. We, we have such an amazing community. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Will. This is Katie and Kay. You've been listening to a Living World Conversation with Lisa Dancing Light about our magic mountain and community. Thank you for listening.